it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be buried in an avalanche? Weird foreign feeling of despair. Or how it feels to crash a skydive? I remember hearing a thud, feeling my body hit the ground. Or how you would react if you were being attacked by an alligator? At the end of my leg is this huge alligator head on my leg. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a victim of an attack dragging me into the bathroom and saying, I'm going to kill you, now you're going to die. You'll hear from a man who discovered a baby. How could this be? How could there be a baby on the ground? And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Clanky County 911, there's a man at my back door. He's trying to get in. What Was That Like is a podcast about real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 83. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to take a few moments and answer some listener questions. We got some great questions recently, and Andrew and I wanted to take a few moments to go over those with those with you guys. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and read some questions, and then Andrew's going to answer them for us. So Andrew's going to be the air answer man. So first question. Hi, Andrew. My name is Luke. I am a 24-year-old college student, and I'm a new e-letter subscriber and an e-book purchaser. First off, I would like to thank you for all that you've taken the time to put in out there. I've learned so much from your podcast alone that I'm feeling so much more confidently already about what I'm doing with my money. The first stock that I purchased was Comcast maybe a month and a half ago. I've been contemplating selling to buy into positions still listed as buys in your e-letter. I made the e-letter pick purchase this month too. Comcast has been pretty steady since I've held it, but I figured I'd ask for input. I don't want to miss out on any opportunities. Thanks in advance for any advice, Luke. Andrew, what are your thoughts? So obviously, uh, like we like to say, we can't give personalized information or advice um, legally, but I can talk about kind of what I would do if I was in those shoes Based on like the context, a lot of investing has to do with context. You have to understand that as you go along with your journey, 
the stock selections that you make, the investment decisions you make, the portfolio decisions that you make, oftentimes those can be more important than actually the stocks you pick themselves. Um, but those are going to vary based on what your situation is, what your goals are, where your portfolio is. So somebody who's just building a portfolio, you combine that with, um, not combine, you can you contrast that with somebody who already has a diversified portfolio. And then you can contrast that with somebody who maybe is five years or less close to retirement. Uh, and that would be, those would all three be situations where they would all have different portfolio uh, decision-making ideas and that reflects itself in, in the stocks that you buy or sell. So for me, when I first started out, when I was first building my portfolio, and Luke, you mentioned you're an e subscriber. So you, as a current subscriber, you can go back in the archives and you can look because I have my e-leather that followed my real money portfolio that I built from scratch. You can go back to the archives. You can read the first issue, the second issue, the third issue, and you can see how I built that portfolio myself. So I knew that I wasn't going to get diversification right away. I knew that I only I was only investing the small amount. And so it wouldn't make sense to split that money and it wasn't even possible anyways because a lot a lot of stocks will trade at higher prices you factor in transaction fees I wasn't going to hit diversification right away and I didn't hit the diversification I wanted until about a year to a year and a half to 2 years into building this portfolio and if you now kind of look at the issues I've been writing and sending out lately I have a fully diversified portfolio, and so I am adding a lot of stocks uh, in consecutive months to keep that kind of diversification that I want, that position sizing that I want. And so that looks very different from when I was first building the portfolio. I was picking a new stock every month. Now I have, at the size I'm at, which is about $8,000, I'm still dollar cost averaging $150 a month. When you talk about diversification and 15 to 20 stocks is is the ideal kind of diversification, that's about uh, five to seven and a half percent position size. So you, you want to have your stocks generally, each stock maybe makes up like 5% of your portfolio. That would be the most ideal kind of perfect 20 stock portfolio. So as I'm at now, when I'm buying new stocks, I'm tending to group those where I'll take instead of one month buying one stock, I'll take two or three months to add one position. And that just gets me over that 5% position size. So again, the portfolio decisions look very different depending on what uh, part of your investing kind of situation you're in. If I was building a portfolio and I had a stock, let's, let's talk about Comcast because that was in the question. I look at Comcast and, and I, I do like a quick thing on Finviz, which you, you put the ticker and it shows you the general valuation metrics, the, some of the general financials that are in there. You have a stock, it's very big, it's, it's $173 billion. So it, it's definitely in that large cap space. It's in the S&P 500. It pays a nice 2% dividend. And the valuation metrics are all like pretty low compared to kind of the overall market. 
you have a very low PE, the price to sales is pretty low, the price to books kind of right, right where average average price to book is, it's right around two, 2.41 right now. And you have debt to equity, which Infin visits, it's saying it's 1.02. I bet if I were to look at the financials, the way I calculate debt to equity, it might be uh, a little higher, but it's not something crazy. So what we have is sure, maybe it wasn't a stock that with with like the valuation metrics I use now, maybe I wouldn't buy it today. But it also doesn't have any super big red flags. I don't see negative earnings. I don't see uh, like a, a very concerning debt load based on based on what Finviz is telling me, and the valuations still seem pretty low. So, you know, based on that, or or take any other stock, right? As as long as you're not talking about a stock where the valuations at a PE of like 500, or, or it's one of those bubble stocks that we talk about on the podcast all the time. Or it's a stock that's that's really struggling to create a profit, has cash flow issues, or a stock with just a lot of leverage. You know, I think there's value there in just keeping the stock in your portfolio and having it as you know one five percent position. Sure, it's maybe you want to bought it today, but it's already in there. And if I'm built, if I have like five positions in, in my portfolio, I'm trying to get to fifteen to twenty. So there's a lot of value in just letting that be, and then just adding the new positions in this new way that I'm trying to buy stocks. Uh, we talked about <clears throat> before with with our first stocks we ever bought. I bought Microsoft, and I still hold it. And it's, you know, it's uh, sure I could sell it and reinvest it, and and maybe earn higher returns. But you know, I, I think it, letting it run and compound, even even though I wouldn't buy, it. like if I were to go back, basically what I'm saying is, if I were to go back and uh, buy my first stock, it probably wouldn't have been Microsoft, knowing what I know today. But I don't see any reason to sell it, uh, and I can continue to just use. You know, as an investor, you're always going to get better and better, more skilled, more educated. So you can't always assume that your past picks were maybe terrible. So why not let them run? And you know, maybe if you get to a place where you're at a full position size and you see like a really great opportunity, and, and maybe you sell there and then buy a new one, or if you see your stock just just becomes really really reflective of a business that's in trouble then i think that's a place to sell but other than that i don't see any negative side effects of just kind of holding it and building the portfolio out and and taking the time to do so and being patient question number two hi andrew firstly thank you for creating this podcast i started off with back to the Basics series and has been immensely helpful my only investment at the moment is a mutual funds But after listening to your podcast, I've been thinking more seriously about investing in the stock market. My first course of action will be to create a long-term 10 plus years investment portfolio. My question is this, is it at all possible to make money with short-term investing? After my long-term portfolio is in place, I was wondering if I could supplement my income with short-term investing. What are your thoughts on this? The reason why I ask is because while growing my money over 10 plus years is going to be great for me in the future... I could also use a little more money right now. Thank you and keep up the great work. Gopi. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, I pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. 
Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Welcome to the I Can't Sleep podcast with Benjamin Boster. If you're tired of sleepless nights, you'll love the I Can't Sleep podcast. I help quiet your mind by reading random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. Each episode provides enough interesting content to hold your attention and then your mind lets you drift off. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's I Can't Sleep with Benjamin Boster. Have you ever wondered why we call French fries French fries? Or why something is the greatest thing since sliced bread? There are answers to those questions. Everything Everywhere Daily is a podcast for curious people who want to learn more about the world around them. Every day, you'll learn something new about things you never knew you didn't know. Subjects include history, science, geography, mathematics, and culture. If you're a curious person and want to learn more about the world you live in, just subscribe to Everything Everywhere Daily wherever you cast your pod. Yeah, it's a good question and something that not only have I thought about in the past, but I've thought about recently too. Uh, as an example, I have a large cash balance that I am saving to give to the IRS. So if they are listening, your money is coming. 
taxes aren't due yet, so I have time. But you know, I have this money. <laughs> you think they're listening, Dave? They might be. <laughs> okay. Well, we're straight. We're all good. All right. Good to know. Taxes. But you know, so I have this this money, right? And it'd be nice to to earn interest on it, to maybe earn a dividend income on it. But the thing you have to understand when it comes to the stock market is at any given year, we can see it go up and down, up or down in value quite drastically. And so while we do all the things that that we would like to do that are very prudent and, and that have been proven to work, right? Things like buying companies when they're trading at a margin of safety, buying companies with low debt, buying companies that are growing their earnings and, and reinvesting those earnings and using those to really compound the growth and the size of, of that business. Those are all things that there, there's no guarantees. And while they tend to work over the long term, there's no guarantee in the short term. So um, it, it, you really just can look at a chart of the S&P 500 to kind of see that play out for yourself. And so you can kind of stack the odds in your favor. You can do everything right. But if you run across a bear market or even a correction or for whatever reason, you know, um, tomorrow you could wake up and, and the sky could be gray and, and your stock could be down 15%. It has nothing to do with what you did. It has nothing to do maybe even with what's going on in the business. It's just kind of the way Wall Street works sometimes. And the sky could be gray for that stock for many, many years. I remember when Corning was... Um, basically flat for like two or three years. And, and it was just at a, such a low valuation for such a long time. I remember buying it and just being so frustrated because it wouldn't go anywhere. And I was like, I did it right. I did it the way Graham would have. It finally popped, but you know, <laughs> by the time it popped, I'd already given up on it in the sense that I just stopped thinking about it, but I still held the stock and, and then it popped after. And that was obviously really nice. So those are the kinds of things that happen when you buy stocks and, what we can really depend on when it comes to investing in the stock market is obviously a place of a lot of uncertainty and we don't know where prices are going to go. So maybe that can be discouraging. But what we do know is that the business world tends to grow over time. Innovation tends to happen. The big companies, the good companies that provide good products tend to grow over time. And we've observed over 90 plus years that the stock market has grown. You know, you can get annualized returns of over 10% a year by investing in the stock market and reinvesting your dividends. So there's a lot of power in that. And uh, the key to that is, is holding for a long period of time because there will be very many swings in the short term. So while yes, it would be nice, you know, to kind of have an extra stash of cash and put that into the market. So you, you know, create an income. I, I totally get it. Right create that income, get get some dividends in. Uh, you could do that. And if you need the money soon, um, the market could really turn against you really, really quickly. And that could just wipe out, not only wipe out all the progress you might've made from that, but really put you in the other direction. Um, so, you know, maybe the recommendation instead is to look into like a high interest savings account. I know Ally which is the brokerage we recommend they they offer like a I think it's like a two percent yield right now so that could be a much better option in the short term rather than investing. Question number three, Andrew, I would like to put some bonds in my portfolio, and I have read in your book that you would recommend BND, the Vanguard Total Bond Market ETF. 
My concerns with doing this at this time is that the interest rates are continuing to rise, which means that bond prices will drop. Do you have any other advice on purchasing bonds in your portfolio? I was contemplating utility stocks, but they sort of run the same way as bonds. I would just like to have part of my portfolio in fixed income, but I really do not like mutual funds either. Suggestions? So it is true. Uh, bonds and interest rates tend to be inversely correlated. So the reason behind that, and I'll get into that intro real quick. Bonds, um, so interest rates, obviously, if interest rates are high, bond coupons are high. Um, if interest rates rise, then that means basically, you know, say I'm an investor like 100 bucks. Last year, if interest rates were at 4%, I could buy a bond, any old bond, and maybe it would give me a 4% coupon. Uh, if interest rates rise to 5%, well, all of a sudden that 100 bucks I put in last year doesn't look so great because it's only giving me 4% a year because today I can buy a bond at 5% a year. So that price of that bond actually is going down. And so that's why interest rates go, they tend, uh, the prices of bonds tend to go opposite way of interest rates. So the one way you can counter that is to buy a bond and hold it until maturity. Um, but the question is about ETFs. And so while, yeah, you will see some price fluctuations with interest rates, if you look at a long-term chart of a bond ETF, like the, the BND Vanguard total bond, um, it's much less volatile than a stock market ETF. And while you might see the price drop in, in your ETF portfolio, if interest rates really go really accelerate in a, in a really quick time, it won't be as drastic as the media makes it out to be. Or as, you know, some people who are really smart about investing or stocks, it's, there's just this huge disconnect between like, for example, um, when I think of uh, in investors saying, well, you know, the S&P could drop in two years because we're in a bubble and things are overvalued. Like I get that, right? Um, and we can kind of, you can expect like a 50% drop wouldn't be too unrealistic because we've seen something like that before. With bonds, people hear that, oh, well, if interest rates go up, bond prices will crash. And so they associate that with like a 50% drop like you would see in the stock market. But the reality of how interest rates will affect the prices of bonds is not as drastic. So I mean, you look at the chart and the beta on those are really, really low, which means the volatility is really, really low. And we've already seen rising interest rates and the prices haven't been hit too bad. I'm certainly not a bond expert and sure they could crash, but I think there's just a huge disconnect between, you know, maybe like a 10% drop in stocks and like a 2% drop in bonds because like the goals of these investors tend to be different and people in bonds, they talk about basis points, which is like, like the 0.01% of returns and, and people in the stock market tend, tend to talk about 5%, 7%, 10%. It's just like two different worlds. And yes, your prices could drop. I think over the long term, you can get a relatively safe dividend from a bond ETF you might have some volatility, but you know, if interest rates rise, it's not going to be that way forever. 
And if, if you're putting fixed income into your portfolio, really what you're trying to do there is to get a nice income stream. And, you know, unless you're buying individual bonds, you really shouldn't expect to be out of those positions in a short period of time. You know, unless you're buying individual bonds with a short maturity, you shouldn't expect to be in those for a short period of time. So interest rates rise, they will eventually fall again. And so whatever you lose, you would hope to get back on the swing up. So a good valid concern, something that you definitely want to consider and maybe research when you're looking at bond ETFs. But also understand that a lot of the whole idea of bonds crashing or whatever, it's 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 a lot of hype and you should be looking at the long term and understand that interest rates, just like everything else in the economy, just like the stock market, you have low periods, you have high periods, you have ups, you have downs. It's 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 not going to be forever, forever. So we're we're talking about investing for the long term. You should have that mindset too. Excellent. And one thing that I would like to throw out there as a possible suggestion would be to look at uh, U.S. Treasuries. Uh, as the interest rates continue to rise, the yields on those are improving. So over the last you know, eight to 10 years, they've been pretty crappy because the interest rates were so low. But as the interest rates continue to rise, the yields on those become a lot more attractive. And in some cases, they'll be more attractive than uh, investing in a bond would. And the other advantage to those are they are obviously very secure because they're backed by the full faith of the United States government, which, you know, depending on your political swings, you could <laughs> you argue about. But the financial wherewithal of the country is strong enough that those are going to be as about as secure as you're going to be able to get. Uh, the other aspect of that is well is that you can buy shorter term securities so you can buy one year three year five year 15 year 50 year you know however long you want to go they have different sort of durations and i've been reading a lot about this recently about people that are a little bit nervous about the stock market and have been trying to go to cash or be as liquid as they can so that when things maybe turn for the worse, they will have money available to buy things on sale. And one of the ways that they've been kind of not necessarily hedging, but I guess putting their money where they can still earn something from it other than a savings account is they've been putting them in treasuries and they've been doing short-term treasuries like a six months to a year because every six months they'll, they'll ladder them. So every six months, a certain portion of the money will either come due and, or they can roll it over and buy additional or they can cash it out and do with it what they want. And so with the interest rates rising, they've been doing this a lot more recently because it allows them to make a little bit more money than they would if it was in a stock market. And it's very safe and secure. And it's easier. It's easy, very easy to do. You can just walk into your bank and you can buy these things, or you can go to treasury.gov and you can buy them online. And it's super easy to use. And they're a great fixed income that's I don't think is talked a lot about. And Frankly, I think a lot of it is simply because for so long, the interest rates were so low that they just were not really a viable option. It was They were kind of scorned and, and kind of looked down upon. But with the rising interest rates, you know, I think they're anywhere from 3 to 3.5% on the low side. So you know, it's not horrible. 
And it's, you know, certainly something that you might want to consider if bonds are something that it maybe is a little bit too, you know, mystical for you. Uh, Andrew did a great job of kind of explaining, you know, how they work, but some people can be a little bit scared off by them. So I think that's maybe something that I would kind of give a thought to about using would be some treasuries. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yeah, that's a great tip. T-bills are a fantastic asset allocation for people who, you know, if you're, if you're going to hold cash, you might as well hold T-bills. Good morning, Andrew. I hope this email finds you well. I have read through your ebook and the value trap indicator, and now I'm looking to put what you have, have read into practice. I know from listening to the podcast, you state that you use FinViz to first screen the stocks. I was curious to see how many of the fundamental evaluations you discuss in your books that you use in the screener. Can you provide the screener criteria you use? Thanks, Zach. Yeah, another good question. Uh, we covered our screen stuff in, adva- uh, in a lot of detail. Uh, I think it was the episode uh, where the fine investment ideas. So that's a good resource um, to really get in depth. But I'll answer this kind of rapid fire. If that's even possible for me. So <laughs> <laughs> this is one of this is an example screen I, I ran recently. Um, so I did market cap over two billion because I don't want stocks that are too small where they could be you know very risky. Uh, positive dividend yield, uh, country USA because t- today's podcast episode is all about the U.S. government and me, I guess, sucking up to them. But no, I've talked plenty of times about why I only buy U.S. stocks. P.E. under 30 and price to sales under two, price to book under, uh, oh, I'm sorry, price to sales under three, price to book under three, and debt to equity under one. So that's a good kind of starting range. You can also add some of the other metrics that I talk about in the seven steps ebook, like price to cash. Uh, I like to keep that one um, not plugged in and, and just kind of visually screen it out as I'm going through these companies. You can tweak these just as much as you want and it gives you a good starting point um, for more in-depth research. So for this screen, for example, I got 92 stocks or what was it? I'm sorry. It was 172. So from here, I would maybe pick a couple other things to, to screen out and then and then go deeper from there. Um, but those are some of the like the major ones. I o- almost always use like PE, price to sales, price to book. Those are really, really good. And obviously debt to equity. Um, and then you can kind of fine tune from there. But, you know, FinViz is limited where they don't have everything exactly like I teach, but you can get really, really close and then do your due diligence research from there. Question number five. Andrew, I've been following your podcast for a few months now having gone back into the archives to catch up on your journey and teachings. I just recently subscribed to your research letter and look forward to following your portfolio. I am starting out at age 44 with $20,000. Using the $20,000 and then continuing with the $150 per month and your return projections, how can I calculate what I could potentially have in my portfolio in 10 years, assuming I closely mirror your holdings? I am lucky to work for the state government and have a pension to fall back on, but I'd like to pay that as much as I can. Thanks. All right. So obviously nothing's guaranteed in the market. And 
we talked about how the reliability of returns, you really start to see that after about a 20-year time period. So even like a 10-year time period, things could really go sideways in the market and you wouldn't see the type of returns that we talk about, like 10% a year, just like average type returns. But once you get around the 20-year time period, that's when things really, um, no matter like what 20-year time period, and I wish I remember which episode we discussed that in, but no matter what 20-year time period, you're getting really, really close to that kind of average or above average return, depending on depending on the timing. Um, but, you know, so if you were to, just for planning purposes, wanting to find out like how much would a 10% return give me after 10 years. The tool I love to use is from investor.gov, another US government resource. But you would just Google compound interest calculator. It's like the first or the second option. You go to investor.gov, you click on it, and it gives you all those boxes right there. You simply fill them in. How much do you have initially? How much are you going to contribute every month? How many years do you want to look at? And then your estimated annual interest rate. You can put 10% if you want to see what uh, average market returns would be, 11% if maybe you're being a little more aggressive, Uh, 17% if you think you're the next Benjamin Graham. And then you just calculate it and it'll tell you. And it's really cool. I love using this tool. I think it's like a must use if if you're looking at your personal finances, if you're trying to figure out how much should I dollar cost average? uh, What's the trade-offs between um, do I want to cut this item from my budget and maybe put this much more into my investments, what what would that realistically give me over this time period? That can be a great way to make those decisions and really visualize it. All right, folks. Well, that's going to wrap it up for tonight. I hope you enjoyed our little Q&A session. Andrew did a great job of answering your questions, and we really appreciate you guys taking the time to send those in to us. So please keep sending us questions. We love talking about these things and seeing what we can do to help you guys learn as much as you can about investing and learn as much as you can about trying to save money and invest for your future. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys have a great week. Enjoy your time. Invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety, and we'll talk to you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.